Welcome to Emil Franzing's Voices of the West, dedicated to the principle that America was better off when our TV shows featured cowboys instead of lawyers. And a good howdy, howdy. This is Harry Alexander, and uh, you are in tune with Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. Uh, on the other side over there is uh, Mr. Bunker DeFrance, our co-host. That's right, and I'm sure happy to be here with our special guest today and our special show. Yes, it is a very special uh, show, and and we welcome uh, a very special guest. We've been working on this one for quite a long time now. Mr. Patrick Wayne. Pat, welcome. Good morning. How Call me you? Patrick. I don't answer to Pat. Very well, sir. Pardon me. Uh, Patrick Wayne. Not uh, a problem. Uh, we are expecting Todd Roberts here anytime as well. Uh, Todd helped get this uh, interview uh, put together. And i got to tell you, Patrick, This we've been working on this since May. I visited Todd in Los Angeles back in May, and uh, we went to a cigar bar uh, where we met another friend and. That friend saw you playing poker in that cigar bar, and I th- I leaned over to him and said, "Wow, that'd be a real coup if we could get Patrick Wayne on the show." And he said, "Okay, I'll work on it." And here we are. <laughs> that was Danny. That's, where are you? We're in Tucson. Where are you now? Uh, in Tucson. Oh, you're in Tucson. Yeah. Okay. Are, are are you in Arizona or in, in California now? I'm in California, Tucson. I have a, a long history. My my mother's sister. Uh, was married to an attorney in Tucson, and her daughter went to U of A, and, oh, yeah. and you know. Okay. So spent, I've spent a lot of time in Tucson over the years. It's a, a nice, temperate town. It's higher than uh, Phoenix, so it's yeah. a little, little nicer. Yeah. Um, in in terms of the weather, I, I like to, Tucson. Well, you know, one of the things I think is kind of neat is uh, we, you know, we've done your dad on the show several times. And a couple of months ago, we did, I think, probably uh, a show on your dad that nobody's ever done before, <laughs> which was uh, his ranching career here in Arizona. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, it wasn't the John Wayne uh, movie star. It was John Wayne, the rancher, cattleman. And it was a great show. And what a what a wonderful topic, because his, his history with cattle raising in Arizona is really super rich. It's um, it was a, a quite an experience. We had my dad had that well, you probably already digested all this. But his partner um, in the cattle business was also his partner. Started off in the farming business. They right. they raised cotton uh, outside of Phoenix, and um, and then they decided to get into the certified Hereford business, and had a wonderful uh, success in that. Of business and had uh, every Thanksgiving we we'd go to Casa Grande for uh, the bull sales. Yeah, and uh, sold a lot of wonderful, wonderful bulls. It was um, it was a great time in our lives. Well, I know you must. I know just from re- researching that show and then researching you on this one, I know that you've got to spend a lot of time over here, uh, and I I think it's really neat because you got to spend a lot of time with your dad. Uh, and you came out in one of the pieces I was reading that you the time on the pictures was really special because you didn't have to compete with your brother and sisters for your dad's attention. Yeah, that was a that was a huge thing in the uh, in the forties and fifties, uh, a big 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 deal. Um, so I, um, um, you know, I, I, I just I, I love the experience. I, I, you know, I had a great time. I also love the acting part of it. But yeah. you know, the big thing for me at that age was uh, uh, having my dad to myself. That was a very, very special, special time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got another goofy question. I'm, I'm the goofy question guy here. Uh, did you ever get? Did your dad ever take you down to Nogales to Zuma's for the pie? Oh God! Are you kidding? It was great. That's but Nogales is is the best city in Arizona because that's the highest one and the the most temperate and the closest to Mexico. It's got a lot of stuff going for it. Yeah. But uh, the pie, uh, unbelievable! In fact, I love asking anybody you know if they've, they've been down there. Apple pie, my God, it's so mm-hmm. good. Well, I understand your. Yeah, that's a Nogales place. special place. Yeah. 
Well, let's see. I'm trying to think of the place in Mexico we went to across the border. I can't remember now. But the, uh, the cavern, the old place that was the cavern. That's it. Yeah, yeah. the cavern. Right. Yeah. yeah. Great oh, that's going soup. back a few thousand years. Yeah. Did you ever eat their turtle soup? Yeah, of course. It's so good. Are you really? Best I mean, it's a real deal. Yeah. Oh God, yes. <laughs> this is so cool. <laughs> these these are incredibly goofy questions. That's that's very true. They're goofy. <laughs> um, when I when I um, when I was uh, approached, but well, Danny, the guy that I know from the Grand Havana room, introduced me to Todd, who's still not with us, right? No, he's, uh, I'm, I'm trying to find him here. Okay, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The important thing is, uh, I noticed the name of the show, "The Voices of the West," mm -hmm. and uh, what what is something for me that that uh, has resonance is that it it, it represents a, a time when there was still uh, a morality around mm -hmm. people, a decency around people, and uh, you know, you talk about the code of the West. And uh, the way people behave, there's no mention of God. It's it's just what's decent, man to man. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's it's being uh, uh, being a decent human being. The golden rule, if you will. I mean, it's uh, it's it's a it's an interesting time. You know, you've seen many Western films, and the stories are dramas, and maybe they're true, or maybe they're you know there's some poetic license in the telling of the story. But the basic code of the west is not a joke that was that's real that was a real sale and um you know you see with the all of this information highway um it, it seems to me that uh, the the message in the cole porter song anything goes is is stronger than ever mm -hmm. and uh, there are just some values that that need to be recognized and whenever i get an opportunity to talk about uh, being moral, and I'm not talking about religion now. But I'm just talking about being decent. Yeah. Uh, I, I will spread the word. You know, I just think it's important for children growing up to get away from the games and be able to engage with people and and know how to behave when they're engaged with people. You just about explained what our our our, our mission is on the show because for myself particularly. Uh, but Harry as well, and the show. It's about our heritage, the traditions, what what the values. Uh, you you said you said it beautifully. It's, it's a man standing on his own two feet, face, uh, facing adversity, no matter what it is, and doing it with honor, doing it with courage, uh, no back down. And that's 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 the thing. One of the things we do with the show is because we we don't just do the same show every saturday uh the last saturday of the month is generally uh western movies and then we have a, a good close connection with western writers of america so uh when one of those guys uh has a new book or something comes out we'll get them on here and we'll talk about the book and and, and just and just about the west and everything we get Western music, we get cowboy poetry, and then we just do the history. You know, we've done shows on the Teamsters of Arizona, the Irish in the West. Just, you know, it just, it, it, it's such oh, a, great. Great. It's a wonderful, wonderful topic. And, it, you know. Yeah, it is. There's great stories there. Yeah, yes. Well, I have, I have another crazy question here for you. Um, only if it's goofy. It's got to be goofy. Well, well this, this Almost is, all of Bunker's questions are actually, goofy. Actually, this is, this is a little of both. Uh, I'm, I was looking here, and it seems that you were almost in old uh, Pappy Ford's back pocket there for a long time. You had, to, you had to have a lot of great experiences and learning from probably one of the greatest filmmakers and from what some people say, one of the scariest filmmakers as far as uh, being in command and control. I think you've hit all of the elements. Uh, he, he was my godfather, mm -hmm. first and foremost. So um, uh, I, I was, I was uh, exempt from any of the... Um, his his uh, sense of humor. He had a you know a pretty distorted sense of humor. What he thought was funny was pretty cruel and humiliating <laughs> most of the time. 
to, to, to different performers or part of the crew or whatever. Um, but, but I was, I, it turned out I was exempt from that, but on a day to day basis on these different films, I, I didn't know that I still was waiting for the shooter drop, you know? So yeah. I didn't, uh, I didn't live with uh, ease and comfort to, that I was going to be spared all this stuff. It just worked out that way. Um, amazing, amazing guy. He was, uh, you know, he had the cinematographer's eye and, uh, you know, his, his, the way he staged the scene and, and the, using the background and those wonderful, those wonderful vistas in Monument Valley and mm-hmm. uh, pretty amazing stuff when he was doing the cavalry films and, um, uh, going all the way back to the the film that launched uh, westerns into uh, Class A films, the right. Stagecoach, the right. film Stagecoach. Wow. Uh, amazing, amazing work, and uh, just uh, the golden age of films was kicked off then. Well, the year a- I was born, as a matter yeah. of fact. Yeah, yeah you were good luck yeah, for them. So going, going back a while. <laughs> uh, you know, there's a there's a story I've heard over the years about Ford, and you know it's one of those kind of urban legend stories. But you know, being being close to the family, being a godson and all, maybe you can throw some light on it. The story goes kind of like this: that this was back when he had first started directing, and he was like one of his first first directing jobs, and some of the suits from New York had come out. Uh, to the coast, and they were want, they were wanting to tour the studio and see what was going on, and so the word was it went out ahead to uh, to Ford, you know, put on a good show for these guys. We got to impress them. So they were doing a bank robbery scene, and they had a half a dozen cowboys <coughs> mounted up, shooting up to town and everything. So uh, Ford went to them and said, "Guys, I'm going to fire a gun off camera, and when I do." He says, I want some of you guys to take take a saddle fall. He says, you know, there's there's a half pint in it for you. <laughs> so they, they get the suits get there and they're standing there and they roll the camera and, and the guys are shooting up the bank and he fires off the gun. Every one of the cowboys went off. <laughs> well, that's, the story. <laughs> that's funny. Did you ever hear that? Nice shot. Nice shot. <laughs> um, you know what? There are so many stories. Uh, and they're not urban legends. They they are not apocryphal. These things happen. Yeah. Uh, on another occasion, they uh, the the suits came on the set and said, you know, we're look at we got to pick up the thing. We're seven pages behind, and Ford got a script and tore out seven pages and said, <laughs> fine, now we're on schedule. We have. Uh, you know he would do crazy things and. Um, well, you know, if a producer came on the set, he'd stop everything and have everyone applaud. Uh, yeah, he, he was um, just you know amazing, and he was he was a tyrant, and he yeah. did run everything. Wow. Uh, he had you know his finger on every he's a micromanager, so he he ran every single um, every single element of the filmmaking process. His he you know this and that. So he was a superstitious guy too. I remember on the set of uh, the Searchers. Um, uh, we were on uh, in the uh, sound stage. We were back from location. We're sound stage, and Jeff Hunter was whistling on the set. Well, there's an old superstition, uh, you know, in the theater about whistling, and uh, how what bad luck it was. And uh, Ford, you know, quietly walked up behind him. He got a foot uh, behind him, and screamed at the top of his lung. Will the so-and-so son of a you-know-what who is whistling please get off my set? <laughs> and, I mean, Jeff Hunter, he, he froze in his body. He turned white, and he just, like, tried to disappear into the ground. It was <laughs> like, oh, my God, what just happened? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, these were mild things compared to some of the horrible things he yeah. could do. I can't even discuss yeah. a lot of the stuff that happened but we, a it happened and 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 b everybody I, I would have to say with the exception of me suffered from this uh thing i was doing another film with him called the long gray line it was a story yeah. about this uh, athletic director at west point played by jerome power and maureen o'hara and ward bond and all his usual uh, cast of characters was in it along with uh, a, a bunch of younger people 
Phil Carey, Harry Carey Jr., who was at that time drinking, and uh, <laughs> myself included. Uh, but anyway, uh, the the uh, schedule for the next day came out, and uh, so none of these guys was on the schedule to work the next day. So they thought they would go out and party. You know, I mean, they didn't have to get up early and have to go to work. So they were going to go out and enjoy themselves that night. So they did. They went on and had a lot of fun and Ford found out about it and he changed the schedule Mm -hmm. and he ordered them into work and they, they shot a scene in the swimming indoor swimming pool, this hot, humid room. (laughs) And these guys were all hung over and were in the hot, humid room and doing this scene for you know the swimming pool scene which wasn't even in the script you know they're making up the dialogue as it's going along and these guys are just dying in here of course this scene never appeared in the final movie but he he got these guys attention and mm-hmm. so they were very careful about going out and partying when they didn't think they had to work the next day we're talking with just uh, keeping everybody in line you we're know this with is his job wayne here on emil franzi's voices of the west todd roberts is uh joining us here from California. Good morning, afternoon, and whatever time it might be for you, Todd. And whatever day of the week. (laughs) Todd? Todd, you missed the best part of the show. You're going to have to listen to it again because uh, all of the good stuff has happened before you got here. He missed all the goofy questions. I don't know where he is. All the goofy questions. I don't know where he is. He was here. Well, Well, anyway, uh, here's what we need to do. We need to go take our first commercial break here. So we're going to do that and then be back with much more of Angel Franzi's Voices of the West. We will do that right after these very, very important messages. Do stay tuned. The Tucson Trap and Ski Club is one of the best-kept economic secrets in town. This 900-member group maintains one of the finest shotgun shooting ranges in the country, featuring trap, skeet, five stand and sporting clays fields and hosts national and international events that bring thousands of people and millions of dollars into our community. The Spring Satellite Grand American Tournament alone involves 1,200 participants for 10 days. Learn more about this and their other contributions to our community at TucsonTrapAndSkeet.com. Can you even imagine switching back to pen and paper to run your business? Every year, we become more and more dependent upon our technology. If your network is not set up properly, you're just one click or one email away from losing data critical to your operation. Arizona Computer Guru offers a host of services to prevent and protect you from disaster. From online backup services to email filtering to fully managed network services, Arizona Computer Guru is here to keep your network secure, your data safe, and your budget in the black. To schedule your free consultation, call 304-8300. Imus Wilkinson Investments, 777-1911, is a unique investment management firm. They pay little attention to where the market indicators are because smart investment management goes way beyond checking stock exchanges. They are very good at managing all types of investment based on client expectations. They build relationships, and they want clients, not customers. My family is proudly included among them, and they'll help you, as they did us, design a portfolio that achieves what you want when you need it. Imus Wilkinson Investments, they're really good at what they do. 777-1911. You're not going to use the story, Mr. Scott? No, sir. This is the West, sir. When the legend becomes fact, print the legend. This is the Voices of the West. Voices of the West, Harry Alexander, Bunker de France. Our special guest is Patrick Wayne, and also on the line with us now, I hope, is Todd Roberts. Todd, are you there? Hello, gentlemen. I apologize. Not not a problem. Patrick Wayne speaking. I just want to make a comment, two comments, really. The first is, you know, the intro and the promo to get us on the show is not pretentious enough for me. We need a much bigger orchestra to bring us in. Okay. Number two, during the commercial, you, you know, you, you well, talked about these uh, uh, computer experts. Yes. There was a, a, a spot in there. Last night we were at dinner. I was out with my son and a couple of friends, and the, the restaurant went uh, black. It was totally black. Uh, all the lights went out, all the power went off. Oh, and but about. every other place around, I looked outside the windows, and all the other store lights were on. Mm-hmm. And I know that it has something to do with their computers, mm-hmm. and they could have really used those computer experts last night. 
Yep. They ended up just we they just we hadn't even we ordered dinner, but we'd only been served the wine. <laughs> and finally, the, the the gal came up and said, "Your wine has been comped, but we can't serve you dinner." So we had to we had to go out and find another restaurant. Wow. Mm-hmm. But where were the computer experts last night to fix that restaurant? For sure, the uh, the theme song that we use, I uh, had that uh, commissioned because I got in trouble for using. What were we using before? Uh, uh, something. R- r- ride the High Country or something. Yeah. And uh, somebody complained about it, and so I went out and got this piece of music. And I, I wanted it's to. It's great. Thank you. I, I wanted to have it as, as flourishly, flourishy as possible. Foolishly? For flourish. Flourish. One of our uh, uh, friends of the program, John Camrata, he's a uh, music, uh, retired music arranger from Nashville. And uh, his comments are always How did they win the West without French horns? Exactly. <laughs> Well, you, really? No kidding. I listen to that music. I'm waiting for POTUS to come in and uh, march, march around. It's well, a, you know, really, it's the, the presidential for sure. Yeah, we got we're, we got a solution so that it'll, so your intro will be greater now. What we'll do is we'll put we'll put the recording in a barrel <laughs> and it'll get that reverberation. There you go. Yeah. Oh, yeah! You, I think you got something. I think you're onto something there. You, you remember that missing 18 minutes from the uh, uh, 1970s? Uh, uh, hello. <laughs> I had more missing. <laughs> Do I ever? Yeah. <laughs> Do I ever? Anyway. Nixon's secretary erased it. Yeah. Anyway, the, what what I, played, what I played there coming back into the uh, into the program is uh, the theme from Rio Grande, and uh, that was uh, that was quite a monumental film for you, was it not? Number one. First film I worked in, mm-hmm. and you got the big money for it too. Big time! Oh, big money! Five bucks! <laughs> five bucks! Money. But in those days, five bucks is like ten bucks today. So you know, it was some <laughs> real money. In those days. It was, uh, it was special. Listen, when you uh, when you're nine years old, <laughs> it's like a small fortune. Uh, it allowed me to go out and buy cherry bombs because the 4th of July was right around the corner. Nice. And didn't I get in trouble for lighting those in some of the wrong places? So, you know, it all, you know, it all comes comes around full circle. You're tarnishing. At least I, I stood up and uh, took uh, took took responsibility for my, my evil actions. You should. <laughs> that's all you can ask of a person. There you go. And that, that's part of the code of the West, right? Hey, jump in there, Todd. Accountability. There you go. That's it. All right, Todd, your turn. Learned at an early age. Todd, your turn for a question. Well, I just first I'd like to say thank you so much for Mr. Wayne for being with us today. Uh, Call me Patrick. Oh, okay, Patrick. Thank you. Uh, it, it, just as a side note, personally, is that what Danny calls you, Patrick? It is. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Okay. So we, we all um, you're you're in a you're in a tough position, Todd, because you don't know what questions have been asked. So you ask your question. Well, hey, we already answered that, buddy. You get get with well, that, that, that. That happens almost every show, Patrick. So that's uh, between Harry and, and Bunker. They they usually have not only done all their homework, they they plan it out perfectly. It's a, a little bit of a uh, kind of a choreographed dance symphony there at the studio I, I in, have to in say, Tucson. Are you on the from, right? From show, my standpoint, Todd? questions are irrelevant because if I have something to say, I, I'm going to say it whether the question matches. My answer. It's going to, you know, not not necessarily. I usually answer, that's a very good question. That reminds me of something. (laughs) And then I'll go off and and talk about whatever it is that I want to talk about. Well, my dad used to. (laughs) When my dad was asked a question uh, in his, throughout his life and business and so on, who was in in film business as well, when he didn't want to answer the question, he would say, boy, that, that is, that's a very good question. But before I answer it, I have to ask you, what is your motivation for asking? <laughs> okay. And, uh, that usually will and, stop it right there. Yeah, and he, he rarely answered any questions he didn't want to ask, but he didn't want to answer. But I have to yeah. go back a little back into the past and ask you one question. Uh, there was a debate amongst a, a group of guys that I hang out with who are cowboys, other than the two cowboys on the line today, uh, which is, there was a rumor you grew up on Highland Avenue in Hollywood in one of those large houses in Hancock Park. And I used to say that I didn't believe that was true, but I just wanted to kind of get an idea of where it was you spent 
the majority of your youth in, a, in, in what? what what domicile? What uh, what's your motivation for asking that question? <laughs> no, I'll be happy to answer that question. <laughs> I grew up three houses north of Beverly Boulevard on Highland Avenue, on the east side ah. of the street, three twelve North Highland. Okay. I lived there wow. uh, until um, I got married, which was basically I don't know twenty five or six years old. And uh, moved into uh, the uh, east end of the San Fernando Valley, a little little bedroom community called Toluca Lake, yeah. and sure. uh, in 1965. And I still live in that same community, although this is the, my fourth fourth house uh, over the years. So, um, but I stayed I stayed right there in the east end of the valley. Okay, uh, Highland Avenue. Yeah, grew up in Hancock Park. Went to uh, Cathedral Chapel grammar school, parochial school, Loyola High School, and Loyola University. And Loyola like your brother. And Loyola like my brother, yeah. Well, you know. Yeah, and my uh, my grandson also went to um, to Loyola High School. and uh, It's one of the prominent high schools uh, for, for yeah, young men in this, in this town. Uh, it's it a great college, a lot of uh, great territory. people. Yeah, yeah, it's, a, it's so, college prep all the way. So my first, my real question is, um, and not to put you on the spot, but you've worked with a lot of different directors in your life, uh, from John Ford to Howard Hawks to Andrew McLaughlin. Do you have, and I won't ask you your least favorite, but your absolute most favorite, who that might be, or had the uh, most fun with? Well, well fun. I, 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 the most Fun would would uh, wow. Uh, uh, working with Ford was the most uh, influential. He had the most influence on my my career, my professionalism, my performance, whatever going forward. Be, because he he got me at a formative age, and for the first twelve films that I worked in, he was the director of. So I I'd say he okay. was the most influential. Sam Wanamaker was the director of a film. Uh, that I did called Sinbad in the Eye of the Tiger, and that is, with, you know, head and shoulders, the most fun I ever had working on a film. We were on location in uh, on the island of Malta. We were in Spain. We were in Jordan. We were in England, uh, working uh, Jane Seymour and Taron Power. Uh, I've got, you know, fabulous cast I worked with, and uh, a very challenging role that uh, came off really well. So, so that, that was uh, Sam Wanamaker. Ends up being the, the director I had the most fun with. So in the scene in uh, the the searchers where you walk in as the uh, young cavalry trooper and are trying to inform uh, the captain of the rangers being Warren Bond where you are and where he is and where your father is, the, the colonel. Um, it looks to me that looked like that was a, that scene is to to this day when I watch it, it's very funny to me and anyone who watches it. But it did it look was it as difficult or as as fun as that looked? Well, it was. First of all, there was a little ad libbing going on in there. You know, my father had a little license to move around and you know, say whatever he wanted to. So. I being, you know, I was 15 years old, and, and you know, I'd, I'd worked in a number of films by them, but I had no experience, and certainly not prepared for anybody ad-libbing, you know, and I kept waiting for the director to say cut, and, and, you know, do the next thing, and it didn't happen, so, you know, I'm caught with egg on my face and didn't know whether to, you know, hit him or, you know, go forward, so, uh, you know, it was a little... Uh, which is exactly what Ford wanted. You know, he got exactly sure. what he wanted out of the scene and out of me. So, so know. then the 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 when your father says, uh, "Hey, sonny, uh, soldier boy, turn around, let me see your stripes," that would be oh, yeah. part of that ad libbing. One hundred percent, one hundred percent. That's not in the script. I defy you to find that in the script. It's not in there. It won't be in there. You know, something I like. But that. Um, it's in the film. It certainly is in the film. Well, and it sure does work. Yeah. It sure does work. Um, let, let me add as 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 a footnote to this. Um, it, it, 
for me to be on location in Monument Valley with Natalie Wood, I would have put up with, uh, you know, crucifixion. I mean, I, I didn't care about any of that stuff. I was having the greatest time of my life. What happened if you were her in the well there? I, I didn't hear that. I can uh, barely hear you. Uh, what happened there? There's a story about you and Natalie Wood in the well there in Monument oh. Valley. That that was just a that was just a uh, set set up for a photograph by John Hamilton, who was a, a really terrific uh, uh, production stills guy. He went around to different films and shot different uh, photographs on different film productions. Um, so that didn't really have anything to do with the movie. It just uh, had to do with a little misbehaving. And my my dad, you know, he was like a. He said, you better be careful where you are and when they're photographing, you know, like, oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry, Pop. <laughs> when you started out, you know, following the uh, uh, your first film there, did you ever think that you would continue with this as a career, uh, following in Dad's footsteps, as it were? I mean, I, I my, my radio career, almost parallels what you've done in film in that I was a teenager when I started in radio some 50 years ago and uh, just kept at it and at it and at it and, and, and this was all the only thing I ever wanted to do it's all you know what was to be in radio and to do to be on the radio and and this sort of thing so was was that drive there for you to continue in, uh, as an actor? Not a, not a bit. Not not a bit. I mean, it was you know it was my where my dad was, where he was working, and as I said earlier, it it, it you know it was a, it was a chance for me to spend time with my dad, where my brother and sisters were not interested at all. They did they had no desire to do any of that stuff. So I thought, well, yeah, I'm going to take advantage of this. So mm -hmm. um, I enjoyed the work. But, you know, when I started college, uh, you know, and you start thinking about what you're going to do for the rest of your life, I, I, you know, I'm thinking, I love, I love the work, but do I love it because, you know, it gives me a chance to spend time with my dad, or is it because I, you know, like the work? And so I, I, I kind of separated myself from the business in college. Mm -hmm. uh, not really. I mean, I did I did the Alamo while I was in junior college, but right. I uh, I majored in biology in, in school. I, I didn't major in theater arts or anything. I just get, get a perspective about things and look at other stuff. And then, whatever I made it, I made a choice uh, to to work in films, and it was it was a great it was a great life. Um, it's uh, when you have a job, when you get a job, when you're on a job, it's the greatest thing in the world. It's it's like mm -hmm. kids playing. You know, it's it's play acting. You're, you're, um, you know, you can use your whole imagination and 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 just be creative and uh, great fun, great it's fun. A lot fun. of uh, lessons to be learned and uh, you know areas to explore, but mostly uh, getting paid to play is uh, the greatest. That is that is that is so cool. So, so cool to have that happen. Hang on, Todd. we got to do our, our next commercial break here. We're, our guest is Patrick Wayne, and uh, uh, this is Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. We are uh, broadcasting to you today, as uh, almost every time, from the studios, uh, uh, the Paul Ash Studios in beautiful Tucson. We will be back with much more right after these important messages. When looking for a property management company, here are some things you should consider. How long has the company been in business? What types of properties can they manage for you? And does the company give back to the community? Well, your search is over. The Paul Ash Management Company meets and exceeds those considerations. They've been in business in Tucson, Arizona since the 1960s. They manage all types of properties throughout Arizona and elsewhere, from residential to commercial to public sector properties. The Paul Ash Management Company also dedicates its time and resources to numerous community projects, including help funding the drive for the U.S. Arizona Memorial at the University of Arizona. You also want a property management company that puts you, the customer, 
first. Contact the Paul Ash Management Company today at paulashmanagement.com and ask about the complete package or call 520-795-2100. That's 520-795-2100. The Paul Ash Management Company, property managers you can trust. America, let me tell you about Sergeant Greg Anderson. He recently served two tours in Afghanistan where he received a bronze star for heroism and a purple heart for injuries sustained in combat. He recently left military service and now he's unemployed. The unemployment rate among transitioning service members is unacceptably high, much higher than the general population. Many of our men and women in uniform gave up good jobs and careers to join the military and take up the fight for freedom around the globe. They deserve a chance to get back to work after serving their country. Please join with the American Legion, the nation's largest veteran service organization, in recognizing that veterans are a proven commodity. They're mature, reliable, and hardworking. The training and experience they receive in the military is second to none. Do you really want to honor a veteran? Hire one. Go to legion.org slash honor veterans to find out how you can help. I'm Mr. Red. No doubt you've heard about rescue groups for dogs and cats. But did you know there's a rescue group for horses? That's right. It's called Horse It Around Rescue. Founders Steve Boyce and Teresa Worrell are helping out all those equine victims of neglect and cruelty by giving them a place to restore their health and wellness. And Horse It Around provides a nurturing and natural environment where horses can be horses so they can be adopted out into forever homes. More than 120 horses, mules, and donkeys have been adopted out, but like everything else, it costs money to run the project. Horse It Around is a 501c3 nonprofit located in Southeast Arizona. Your tax-deductible donations to Horse It Around will go a long way so those horses can be horses. Check out the website, horseitaroundrescue.org. Make a difference in a horse's life. That's horseitaroundrescue.org. Coming to you from the great southwestern United States. Young fella, if you're looking for trouble, I'll accommodate you. This is the Voices of the West. of the West. It's a Saturday for us. Who knows what day it is for you uh, while you're listening to this program. Um, this is, uh, again, uh, Emil Francis' Voices of the West. Harry Alexander Bunker de France. Our special guest is Patrick Wayne. Also on the line from Los Angeles is uh, Todd Roberts. Todd, you had a question before, yes. we went into, uh, before we went to the break. Go ahead. Yeah. You, uh, you have You've done many roles that I think you deserve uh, to be congratulated or appreciated for. But you made two films with uh, Doug McClure, Shenandoah, and also The Time That Land Forgot. Um, was are there anything? Is there anything that comes out from those two experiences working with Doug McClure that you'd like to share at all? Um, well, number one, they were eighty years apart. <laughs> I mean, one was, let me see, I'm trying to think when the people of time forgot was like 77, I think. And the other one was 12, something like that years before that. Um, and um, I doubt if I saw Doug two times uh, between those films, you know, just in, in, in you know, passing in, in life, you just, you, you work with people, you become intense friends with people, and then you won't see them for years. And uh, one one of the things that was so amazing was uh, when we started uh, the people at Time Forgot. It was like I'd just seen Doug the day before. We just went right into a conversation like we were finishing one from the day before. Um, that that that's really something that happens a lot when you you work with people and you don't see them for a while. Um, Doug was an amazing amazing person. You know they always say great things about people when they pass when they pass on uh but it's really true in doug's case great great uh sense of humor a very sensitive guy and uh just a, gr- a great guy to have as a friend i really really enjoyed uh, 
his company, and um, I miss him. Uh, so I have to say that, uh, you know, we all have our favorite role uh, that you've been in. Big Jake might be one of my favorites of yours, but your role in uh, Wrestler's Rhapsody, which is so funny and so poignant because it's uh, and Hollywood it's so funny. So funny. It's so funny that you should say that yeah. when you said you're talking about favorite role, you mentioned that all I'm thinking about is Wrestler's Rhapsody when you, <laughs> when you said that. That's a great um, that was uh, that that really was uh, a strange experience for me, <laughs> uh, which I'll give you some of the background. Um, I was uh, I had just returned on a weekend. I had just returned. I was doing a show in Japan, and Monday morning, my agent said I'm sending a script over, and uh, it was Rustler's Rhapsody. And I, I read the script, and I thought, Oh my God, this is the greatest. And he called that afternoon. He says, what are you saying? I said, oh, my God, I love you. He says, well, that's good because you're leaving tomorrow for Spain uh, to do the film. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, tra I traveled on the next day, uh, sent my, my sizes into Paramount. I, I don't know how they put all this stuff together. So sent over on uh, Wednesday, uh, uh, worked on Thursday and Friday and came home Saturday. Wow. I, I wasn't gone an entire week in Spain. So what happened was they um, they were doing uh, the film, Rosa's Rabbit. They, they had hired someone to play my part, the part I played. I should say not my part. Anyway, the role I played. And they shot the whole scene uh, with this guy. And they saw the rushes, and they didn't like it. They they didn't like it. And Hugh Wilson is going, my God, we, we, we you know we got to get somebody to do it. And G.W. Bailey, who was, played the sidekick, played the Gabby Hayes role, says, well, how about Patrick Wayne? And and Hugh says, well, will he do it? And he says, yeah. So they called my agent, and then, you know, then they put it together, and then I got over there. And, of course, Hugh Wilson was so thankful that, you know, all came together that he put me to work several more times after that. But anyway, uh, it, it was so crazy. You know how you get jet lag? I never even I, – I, I was on jet lag the whole time I was there <laughs> and never even had a chance to get normal, uh, you know, when you travel that way to Europe. So – it was so crazy, um, but it um, I'd, I'd had some problems coming through uh, customs. They sent me with um, something to carry the, some wardrobes and some bits and pieces in this box, and I thought, well, I'm not going to repack it. I just took the box over there, and when the customs guys opened it, there was a, a, a vial of pills in there uh -oh. that uh, were for the wardrobe man. Uh, and it was in a, in a pill box, but the label had been torn off the pills. So, uh, you know, the guy's going, que es esto, you know, and I'm going, I have no idea what it is. I, you know, any, I, it was impossible for me to explain sure. to this custom guy how all this came together. And they took one of these pills out and they put it in a thing to drop some liquid in, and it tested positive for narcotics. Oh, no. And all this is happening in front of my eyes. I'm going like, I'm never. I'm. I'm going to jail. It's going to be a dirt floor jail. And I'm not going. I'm not. I'm not getting out of here. Somehow, and finally, everybody else had passed through customs, and there's one person standing there in the thing with me, and it was the person that was, had come to pick me up. So he, he got involved in this conversation, and they finally worked out. They, they confiscated this stuff and let me go. You know, and so um, when I get in there. It turns out it was Emprim with codeine. It, this guy had some, you know, it was a very, it, it wasn't uh, illegal by any stretch of imagination, but it wasn't marked. And so who knew? Anyway, I was so upset. But what happened was it was a rallying cry. So when the whole company finds out about this, I, you know, every, everybody like came to my rescue and supported me. When you walk into a film that's been shooting for six weeks, all the clicks have been formed. You are an outsider. And believe me, in four days, I never would have been able to connect with these people or work my way into, you know, it just doesn't happen. So this unfortunate event turned out to be, you know, something, uh, an ill wind that blew good for something. So that was part of the reason why I think it worked so well. Um, and, you know, when you, when you look at the film, um, it, it really was the, the best scene in, in the movie. It's just the best written scene and uh, the best constructed scene. Uh, and I was just lucky enough to be in it. 
I think that movie is a, a sleeper movie. Yes, it is. Uh, because I, I thoroughly enjoyed it, uh, and I've watched it a couple of times. And it, it's they show it on the Western Channel frequently. And uh, I mean, it's it's a hook. when the film came out. The problem with the film is that the bulk of the movie-going audience is from you know eighteen to twenty-six years old. Yeah. That film was you know a spoof on um, films that were made fifty, sixty years ago. So these kids didn't understand right. what the B movie Western was. They they didn't have an experience with Tom Mix or Gene Autry or yeah. or Roy Rogers or any of these guys. And so it it didn't really mean anything. You know, I, I, there's so many gags that are like uproariously funny to you and me because we are you know from that era but uh they didn't understand it so uh only 11 people ended up seeing it when it first came out well uh, harry harry i and bunker have seen it several times so we're big fans of it but then again we're dinosaurs so i have to say though uh patrick that i always felt it was for me, strange and definitely disjointed between the two films, the Young Guns one and two, where you play Pat Garrett in Young Guns, oh, yeah. and then the second one comes out and you're not there. I was, and I know. William Peterson tries to; he does a decent job, but I always felt like, you know, I kept walking around in the middle of that movie, saying to myself, "Well, wait, wait a minute, where's Patrick Wayne? Yeah. What happened to Patrick Wayne?" You know. Yeah, you know, and I try, and, and you know, it's a political business. It's like the you know, politicizing film. This this film, the second film, had a different producer or and or director, and they want to put their own stamp on it. So wherever uh, they can't change the Young Guns gang, so you know, wherever they get an opportunity to slide somebody else in, um, you know, to put their own stamp on it, I I, I feel like that's probably what happened. Unfortunately, um, I've got to ask but uh, I've got to ask it was it was fun. Young guy, I I my son who is forty. Let me see, he's forty two years old. He was about fourteen at the time, and uh, he came on location. Uh, we were in uh, Santa Fe, and we were filming at night. Um, my my part was at night. So during the day, I take my son up to the ski basin in Santa Fe. We go skiing during the day, and then we go out and set and work at night. And uh, it was pretty nice. Nice deal. That's very cool. Bunker has a question for you, but before we get to that, we have to do our final nice. commercial break here. And so <clears throat> we'll do that. Uh, this is Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. Our special guest is Patrick Wayne. Todd Roberts is with us, along with uh, Bunker de France. I'm Harry Alexander. We'll be back right after this. Besides bringing millions a year into this community with national and international events, the Tucson Trap and Skeet Club at 7800 West Old Ajo Highway services the local shooting sports community with a 380-acre site featuring trap, skeet, pipe stand, and two sporting clays fields, as well as a 9,000-square-foot clubhouse, which all is available to local shooters, and soon an archery range. Check it out at TucsonTrapAndSkeet.com or take a drive out west of town and see it for yourself. New members or single-day use, welcome. Hi, this is Joe Montaigne. Every time my Uncle Willie tells me about his service in Patton's Third Army in World War II, I'm reminded of what we owe the U.S. Army. Fourteen generations of American soldiers who have courageously defended our nation. Their stories represent the best of America and should never be forgotten. Join me to help build the National Museum of the United States Army, a long overdue tribute to all American soldiers. To learn more, visit armyhistory.org. Imus Wilkinson Investments, 777-1911, is a unique investment management firm. They pay little attention to where the market indicators are because smart investment management goes way beyond checking stock exchanges. They are very good at managing all types of investment based on client expectations. They build relationships, and they want clients, not customers. My family is proudly included among them, and they'll help you, as they did us, design a portfolio that achieves what you want when you need it. Imus Wilkinson Investments, they're really good at what they do. 777-1911 You're listening to the best in old western music Clap some bacon on a biscuit and let's go We're burning daylight VOW Radio Radio <laughs> 
West, Harry Alexander in Bunker de France. Todd Roberts is here, and our special guest is Patrick Wayne. And uh, that was the theme from the Rounders that I want to talk about as soon as Bunker gets his question in. You know, uh, Patrick, your dad has always been my favorite. I loved all the old 30s and 40s Cowboys and especially your dad from the monogram and the Gale and all those. Uh, but my second favorite, and this will probably blow a lot of people's minds, but my fa- second favorite cowboy from the movies and from real life is Hank Warden. And I know you've got some <laughs> Hank Warden stories because I worked with him. He's one of the most fantastic, wonderful men I ever met. Hank Warden, my God. I mean, this guy goes back uh, so many years, and he looked like an old man in, uh, you know, in the early 40s. And, um, you know, <laughs> he, he pops up 20 years later and 30 years later, and he still looks the same. Yeah. Uh, a, a, a real character playing, you know, this, he, that crazy guy he played in uh, Acting Crazy in The Searchers uh, was not too far from his real life kind of personality and uh, but what a horseman he could he could do anything on a horse and uh, not brag about it i mean just like whatever you need this guy could do it okay harry rounders the rounders uh television series that uh, you were uh, in um what, what did you think of doing western comedy well, uh, I, I got to tell you a couple of stories about. Uh, uh, so I told you earlier that I lived in in Hancock Park and I moved to Toluca Lake, and I thought, you know, this is a key move. The, the Toluca Lake is a bedroom community located between Universal Studios and Warner Brothers, and CBS is over there, and Columbia's over there. All, all these studios. You know, I'm right. I'm living in this pocket. I hadn't lived there six months, and I got this television series called The Rounders. And this is at MGM, which when there's no traffic and I have a smooth shot, it takes me 40 minutes to get to work. So, you know, the commute was awful. And in those days, you know, we're doing a, a half-hour comedy. You have three days to do it, but I mean, you got to work 12 hours a day to get these things finished. Because of the fact that, you know, it's, it's got some outdoor action in it, and uh, so it takes a little while longer to shoot this stuff. So 40 minutes there, 12-hour day, 40 minutes back. I remember one, one night I came home, and I fell asleep with a hamburger, a bite of hamburger in my mouth. <laughs> fell asleep while I was eating. That's how tired I got. But um, the show itself was uh, absolutely so much fun to work on. It's very clever. They, you know, they came up with great stuff. Yeah. Uh, week in and week out, you know, writing these, uh, putting us in these crazy situations. We're a couple of guys who thought we were so damn smart, end up being so damn stupid. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, you know, always getting, um, always getting one up by uh, Chill Wills, our boss, <laughs> and by a uh, Ron Hayes, God bless him, uh, and uh, Chill Wills, two great guys to work with. Uh, so much fun and uh, really. Uh, unfortunately, you know, it was only on the air for a year, so um, I didn't, uh, you know, didn't get to really explore m- much more. But I have to say that um, living in Toluca Lake uh, in the early 80s, I had a television series with uh, Shirley Jones, and uh, I have a 7 o'clock call in the morning. I could leave my house at 5 minutes to 7 on my bicycle and be three minutes early. I mean, that's the kind of commute you want. I mean, that is what, you know, my whole life was about. Oh, my God, it was so great. And time for a cup of coffee at Patty's. Yeah. Patrick, what do you think about the state of the the Western in movie form or television form these days compared to the days of yesteryear? What's your take on that? Uh, virtually non-existent. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they come uh, few and far between. Sometimes you get a, a film uh, that, that has a feel uh, of a Western in films. Um, but um, you, know, not you get these, um, like, Yellowstone, um, uh, pretty uh, kind of revisionist uh, sense to them. Mm-hmm. It, you know, they, they, they break away for whatever reason from um, the core values of what you might call the old West films. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, it's not my cup of tea, but it uh, doesn't make them bad, I guess. Well, they used to got hats so, <laughs> so, Patrick, um, a film called uh, The Gatling Gun uh, that you made, is, it, it, when you look at that cast, it's a little bit like a kind of a old home week. Woody Strode and, and uh, uh, Pat Budrell. Phil Harris. And Pat Budrell. Phil Harris, uh, John Carradine. What was it like to work with Phil Harris, uh, who uh, just uh, and Bob Fuller, a uh, very a very funny guy, and obviously Bing Crosby's drinking partner. What was that like? Yeah, uh, uh, rest heavily on drinking partner. Uh, <laughs> he, could, he could perform. He could perform uh, under the influence uh, better than ninety uh, percent of the people that were sober working. <laughs> um, I've seen him in many cases. I, 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 one time, I belonged to this club called the Bohemian Club, and every summer they have an encampment in the Redwoods above San Francisco. And uh, Phil Harris also was a member of this club many years ago when he was still obviously alive. Um, we were at lunch, and he was drinking pretty heavily to the point where he was barely intelligible. He, I could barely understand what he was saying. And then I heard, uh, you know, up on the stage, I said, and now, right from Hollywood, here's Phil Harris. And he goes up there. He, he sounded like Demosthenes. He was perfectly articulating. He, 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 he I, you know, I think he does it by reflex. I, I don't even know how he does it or how he did it. But uh, he, he, he could, uh, you know, he could still perform uh, under the influence, and you'd never know it. It's amazing. Uh, really fun guy to work with. Uh, Judy Jordan was on that film too, and she um, dated a, a, a boy who was a security for uh, Elvis Presley, and um, he had arranged for my wife, the then wife, and I to go to see uh, Elvis in uh, Las Vegas. So we're at the show, and in the middle of the show, Elvis stops. He says, "I'd like to, you know, introduce someone from the audience. We have a very special guest here, John Wayne's son, Patrick Wade." You know stood up and said, you know, nice things. And we went and visited backstage and it was all a lot of fun. And then about four years ago, I come to realize that this uh, particular evening, they were recording the show for an album. Mm. He put an out, you know, Elvis live in Las Vegas. Mm. And I'm on the, uh, on the album, the introductions on the album. Yes, yeah. that. I mean, uh, you know, who lives oh. a better life than me? I mean, come on. That's great stuff. <laughs> <I'm not kidding. laughs> uh, well, I, I would agree with that. <laughs> In the few waning moments that we have left for the show, Patrick, um, what are you doing with yourself uh, these days? Oh, mention the Cancer Foundation. Oh, the Cancer Foundation, of course, yes. That's the big thing. So, so um, about 15 years ago, I became chairman of the uh, John Wayne Cancer Institute, which is uh, affiliated with St. John's Health Center in Santa Monica, an unusual place for a research institute. Normally, they're associated with uh, academia, universities, but this is a community hospital, and they have been an amazing partner, a uh, great partner. They understand cancer. They want to find, you know, they want to find a cure for cancer, and they've been very supportive. And um, when I came on board, so, so many things have happened and changed. We, we at the time we were doing uh, research on melanoma and breast cancer. So we've added protocols since then for lung and liver and prostate and GI and brain cancers and uh, very, very uh, robust programs going on. Big, big support from the hospital. Right now we have a big campaign to raise $150 million, 50 million of which will go to our institute and really uh, push us over the top in terms of prestige. We do also a wonderful program on, I don't know how much time, I hope I'm not running you out of time, but we uh, do a fellowship program where we take board-certified surgeons and train them to become cancer surgeons. And so uh, that's been a very successful program. We've trained 140 men, and they're out in the, in the world uh, representing us. Uh, so it's really exciting stuff. And of all the things I've done in my life, that I've gotten a lot of grat gratification from. None has even come close to the work that's being done at the Institute. It's, it's just been amazing work. 
when I started there, I worked, you know, a couple of days a month. Now, with my involvement with the hospital as well, I'm like four days a week over there. So it's uh, it, it's a lot of work, but it's uh, it's very gratifying. So we're gonna we're gonna do something good there. Most Congratulations excellent. to you. Most excellent, Patrick Wayne. We thank you. So I've always much. liked the. Go ahead, Tom. I just want to say, in regards to the Cancer Institute, I drive by it all the time. Uh, I've always loved your logo there, which is of your dad walking in a cowboy hat, and there's that long, long shadow of your dad yeah. off on an yeah. angle. And obviously, you know, there there's a lot of meaning, symbol, oh, yeah. symbolic meaning to that, and I, I think it it's a great tribute to your dad and to you as well. Thank you so much. We really love that, too, and it does. The picture speaks a thousand words, and that's one of them. Patrick Wayne, thank you so much for spending yes. some time with us uh, here on Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. It is most, most appreciative. And it's been a great highlight. Hey, it was great fun. Let's do it again another time. I barely touched the uh, surface here. We got a lot more to talk about. How about this time tomorrow? Yeah, right. You guys have a great day. We'll Enjoyed have, it. We'll have you on, on thank a you, regular. Patrick. Thank you so much, Patrick. Uh, Todd Roberts, thank you so thank much. Bunker to France, thank you so much. Thank and you. Uh, that is it for this edition of Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. So long, everybody. <laughs>